0: Hello, People's Church family. If you would turn in your scriptures to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 17, I'll read there. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent... Because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code in circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, by no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Well, I broke my arm in our backyard. We were playing baseball. I was the pitcher, and my sister hit a really good one. The outfielder had to climb two neighbors' fences to go and get the ball. My sister rounded the bases, and having no catcher, I ran to home plate to make the catch. And the ball came soaring out of some neighbor's garden. And it was going to be close. I caught the ball reached out to tag my sister, who was running full out, and she clipped my arm, and it broke. It was a good break. It broke in two places. When Dad found out, he put a stop to our backyard baseball games. Not because of my arm, though, but because he said this, that we were hitting a little too close to home. Now, the book to the Roman house churches that we've just read from, and there were at least four Roman house churches, it hits very close to home. It begins in chapter 1 safely in the neighbor's yards showing the pagan Romans were actively suppressing the knowledge of God and degrading into all sorts of idolatries and immoralities and sins. That's the neighbor's yards. But then Paul takes us right into the house churches, right to our home, and reveals that there are some in churches who love morality, but they don't love Jesus. For all of their moral posturing, all of their judging of other people, all of their attendance and Even ministry and involvement in church, they themselves are doing what they condemn in other people. So, unless they repent and believe in Jesus too, they are facing eternal judgment. And that hits close to home. And we're staying close to home this morning because Paul now is taking up another imaginary dialogue. He has heard a lot about the churches in Rome and their challenges. And this time he picks up a debate with a Jewish teacher of the in the church, and this Jewish teacher has some serious issues. Remember that the Jewish Christians had been thrown out of Rome with all the Jews, and now we're just beginning to make their way back into Rome. And back into the churches. And notice the resume of this Jewish teacher in the church. Look at what he can offer to the churches in verse 17. He says, you rely on the law and boast in God. And you know his will. Wow. So he's a Jew. He has the Ten Commandments. He knows God's will. You know his will and approve what is excellent, so he applauds a holiness, the holiness that the Ten Commandments teach, because you are instructed from the law, he says in verse 18, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, the blind here are Gentiles, Gentiles, even Gentile Christians. Um, he picks up a number of statements from the Old Testament here to describe Gentiles, And and their uh, lack of knowing God, lack of understanding from the book of Isaiah. He says, you're a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, that's Gentiles. An instructor of the foolish, that's Gentiles. A teacher of children, that's Gentiles. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Wow. I mean, this, this fellow's resume is amazing. Um, perhaps we can hire him here at People's Church. This fellow is not just a reverend. He's the very reverend. Any church would be blessed to have such a teacher of the word, a celebrity pastor, quite a prize for any church. Except... Well, except verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Uh Uh-oh. We'd say, wait a minute. Wasn't this the exact same problem that the morally superior Gentiles had who were in the church we saw last week? That They demanded of other people certain behavior, but they didn't keep it themselves. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself, he says. And then Paul calls this type of teacher into a place of self reflection. He asks a series of questions. Verse 21 While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Well, stealing is the eighth of the Ten Commandments. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Well, that's the seventh commandment. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Well, that's the first commandment. You say you, have, you are to have no other gods before me. Now, what they were doing was very similar to other places. For example, in Corinth, the same thing. The places for dinner parties, the places for business meetings, the places for sort of the community hall events were in the local temples of their pagan gods. That's where they would go. And, and, and they would go for lunch there, and they would make business deals and so on and so forth. And they would have weddings there and the, be invited to weddings. And the temple priestesses would be available to the men as well. And the Jewish churchgoer here, the teacher of such qualifications that he has, it seems that he is going there too and he is taking, he says, do you not rob the temples? These temples would have these little votive dolls. They were like little little dolls of the idol or the, the god from which uh, is fo- that temple was focused on. Almost like uh, you have wedding favors at weddings. They would have these little votive dolls in their sort of souvenir shop. But these Jewish teachers didn't want to be seen to, to be purchasing such things. So what they were doing, they'd slip them into their pockets and take them home. And these weren't considered to be knickknacks at all. They were thought to bring the blessing of the deity of choice into that person's home. It's a picture of synchronistic idolatry is what was going on. And so he says in verse 23, having just shown that they have broken three of the Ten Commandments here. He could go on. He says, you who boast in the law, that's the Ten Commandments he's talking about, dishonor God, by breaking the law, for it is written, "The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you." You see, having the law is no guarantee to keeping the law. And their conduct, their conduct was such that pagans were blaspheming God, mocking God. I mean, these Christians were bragging about knowing God, but bringing disgrace upon God's name because of their behavior. This is how it was with Israel in the Old Testament. It's how it was in the New Testament days, even those who were in the church. And it's still too often how it is today. Sadly, we are inflicted today with many examples of Christian leaders living the lives of alley cats, living excessively, $5,000 sneakers, $50,000 watches, and the adulteries and the drunkenness and the abuse. dipping into the treasury of God so much that the pagans would be mocking mocking God because of the behavior of the Christians sins that are not tolerated even amongst pagans Christians are all too often involved in these things and they get a following these sort of leaders And when finally it all becomes too much and everything is revealed, often these followers shake their heads. They say, who could have known? (laughs) And then they turn around and say, God is forgiving. We need to forgive. And these leaders take maybe three months off and go back start all over again. I mean, it's embarrassing. And it's disgraceful. It's humiliating. Unbelievers mock God more because of the awful unholiness of Christians than for any other reason. Peter would say these words, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works. And glorify God on the day of visitation. So the question is. Is this Jewish teacher in the church. With such wonderful qualifications. Teaching the Ten Commandments. But not keeping them himself. Is he really a Christian? Well this hits close to home. Because Paul has shown that the Gentile morality lovers are in the church, but not in Christ. They love morality, but they don't love Christ. Now what he's doing is he's showing that that holders of God's holy and righteous law are in the church, but they're not in Christ. He speaks to what the Jewish teacher in the church, what he valued. One was possession of the law. That does not mean privilege. And secondly was circumcision. And that doesn't mean privilege either. I mean, if you don't keep the law, it's meaningless. Verse 25, for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Hmm. You see, for neither circumcision, Paul says to the Corinthians, counts for anything. No uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Are you keeping God's word? You know, circumcision of the flesh was seen by Jewish people as a guarantee of heaven. Um, some some equate that to infant baptism, as though it is a guarantee of going to heaven. No, you know, Jewish tradition had uh, they had stories about Abraham sitting at the gates of hell, and everyone who was circumcised, he was making sure didn't go into hell, but went. Right to glory. Hmm. That's how they thought of it. For all practical purposes. A Jew who breaks the law of God. Is the same as an uncircumcised pagan. Is what Paul is saying. (laughs) It's one's actions. Not one's physical features that count. And for this an inward change is needed. And so he says. Look at verse 28 there. In our text, he says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision. Outward and physical, he says, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. The heart being cut. The heart being convicted of, of our own personal sin and our need for a Savior. He says, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Having the law and being circumcised is not a go-to-heaven card to play, but rather has an inward circumcision of the heart taken place. And has the law affected your behavior, your deeds, and your actions? James, in the first epistle of the New Testament, he writes about faith. Without works is dead. (laughs) That is, has has faith impacted our life? Does it make any difference in our choices and our deeds? You know, what Paul is making clear is that there is no room for anybody, anybody, to boast or to be prideful or to be arrogant, to think they have some special privilege with God can be all so much hypocrisy there's no entitlement with god whether it's a gentile or it's a jew because we're all sinners and no one has any exemption well paul anticipates the jewish teachers question in chapter 3 verse 1 then what advantage How's the Jew? <laughs> What's the point of being a Jew then? He says. And the answer, of course, is, well, they have the word of God given to them. He says, in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Paul doesn't give a comprehensive answer. He just begins to answer here. And he shows that they, God, God gave them the word. The Gentiles had creation telling them the truth of God the Jew has the word the Old Testament telling them the truth of God but this is not an advantage of a, of a, a superior moral position over other people it's a responsibility it's not a privilege and the fact that God's grace is greater than our sin It's not a license to sin, but a mercy to be grateful for. And look at what he does then in verse 9. What then, he says, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We're not better off. for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. We're all sinners, he says. This is the human condition. Nothing changes that. Whether you're a Gentile with creation testifying to you, or whether you're a Jew with the very word of God and circumcised, we are all of the fallen human race. And he gives a series from verse 10 down to verse 18, a series of Old Testament scriptures that bring home the point that all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. He actually draws from the word, the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews had to show that they were fallen. And so, needed a savior just like everybody else. You know, at this time of year, a fellow goes up and down the streets in our area. And he's offering to roll your yard You know how it is after winter and the frost and your yard can get all heaved and get bumpy and here and there. And it can be almost hard to walk on. You can twist an ankle if you're not careful in your own yard. And so a leveling is needed. And so if you say yes to this man, he brings in his machine there and he gets to work and he rolls over the front yard and he rolls over the backyard and he he just sort of levels it all. And that's what's happening in the first three chapters of Romans. The word is leveling all people. The truth levels us all. Those outside the church are silenced. They have no excuse. Those inside the church who see themselves as morally superior. With or without the Ten Commandments, Jew or Gentile, are silenced. They have no excuse. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be accountable to God. Wow. Every mouth. The whole world, that's everybody, that's the human race. Those who don't believe in God at all, creation declares to them that he is, and he is powerful. And they suppress that truth and live sinful lives. Moralizers in the church, they might even have some of the law on their own heart, and yet they live sinfully, Rejecting the grace of God in Christ, and they're in the church. Jews, even in the church, have the law of God, but they don't keep it and live sinful lives. The very Ten Commandments that our Jewish teacher in the church relies on is that which condemns him. The very Old Testament scriptures that have been given condemn him and reveals the truth that God's holy standard is clear verse 20 says for by the works of the law no human being said no human being will be justified that is declared innocent no human being will be innocent in his sight since through the law comes a knowledge of sin That's God's holy standard. His law is righteous and pure. You know, our yards have fences. Without the fence, you don't know if you're in your neighbor's yard. You don't know if you're in the wrong yard. You don't know where one yard starts and the other yard finishes. But when you put up the fence, everything is very clear. And if you want to go into your neighbor's yard, you need to climb the fence. And there's no debate. It's clear you're outside the boundary of your own yard. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, is like that. It establishes a holy boundary. And if we cross it, We know then that we are in the place of sin. That we're not in God's yard. The law gives us the knowledge where his expectations are. And they are holy and they are altogether good. And they define for us his laws. They define for us what is holy What is good? And they teach us that we all, all of us, have climbed the fence that he has put up and that we have strayed some further than others. But all are guilty. There is none that is innocent. You see, God's holy law condemns us to It shows how far from home that we have wandered. And this hits close to home. Because Paul has been speaking of different types of people who are included in churches. Gentiles who love morality. Want their kids to have a good moral upbringing. And who feel superior in their morality. But they're sinners too. And they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They don't think they need his forgiveness and his grace. And then teachers who are teaching the truths of God. Even the Ten Commandments. But who don't think they need salvation either because they see themselves as good people the right people they have the commands of god and are marked in the flesh but they they don't understand that they are sinners too and they're looking down on other people you see both jew and gentile unsaved in the churches looking down On other people. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. In the churches, And they must be in our church as well, here at People's Church. Moral, but secretly immoral. Because they cannot keep what is not in their heart. Looking down on others, but not willing to look up to God. How about you? Wherever this message finds you, Are you thinking you're the right sort of person for God? I mean, you may be middle class, educated. Your Bible is around somewhere. You can remember three or four of the Ten Commandments. You might have grown up in church. You might even be a church member. You might even have a baptismal certificate kicking around in some box or drawer at home? Are you trusting in yourself that you're righteous and treating others with contempt? Are you seeing God? As you look down on people, you can't see him. You need to look up to him. You need to see his utter holiness and so your own sinfulness. You are off in other yards while judging those who you see there. Are you one who shades the truth and calls it exaggeration? Are you wasting time? Maybe some of you students at home now with the changes, wasting so much time. Maybe thinking you deserve to waste it? Are you angry inside and outside? And you call it other people's fault? Are you watching pornography? Or soft pornography like like TV shows such as Game of Thrones or Bachelorette or putting before your eyes that which can never be good and right and holy? Are you cheating here and there on your taxes, which were to be filed yesterday? Are you flirting? Are you raging? Are you being cruel and mean online? Because everyone else is. The scripture says this, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. And how quickly you can find yourself climbing fences away from home. And how quickly you can find yourself in a far off land like the prodigal son in the far country far away from the Father who loved him and watched for him to come home. Will you not see that we are all leveled by God? He shows no partiality. There is no exemption for you. We are sinners by nature and by deed. And our only hope is to look up to him and to cry oh Lord help me oh Lord save me oh Lord I, I need your forgiveness I need your mercy I need your grace in Jesus Christ cleanse me oh Lord I am coming home You're listening this morning, needing to self-reflect about what neighbor's yards you are in, what boundaries and fences that you have crossed, and what laws of God you are breaking. Will you not return from that far-off place, and will you not humble yourself? The scripture says, well, Jesus says these words if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He knows the secrets of your heart. He sees exactly where you are. There's no exemption for you, there's nothing that elevates you above another. You need Jesus. You need the Savior who died for your sins. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. And it doesn't matter the things you've done in ministry. It doesn't matter how moral you think you are. You must have Jesus. Admit your sinfulness. Repent of it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, be cleansed, be forgiven, and come home. Psalm 84, let's close with these words. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O God. My soul longs, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for himself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Ah, Lord, to be home with you in our spirits, to walk out and through each day within the expectations and boundaries that you have laid out for us. Lord, there's some perhaps you're knocking on the door right now of their life, asking to come in. Help them. Bring conviction to their life. Let them know of their sinfulness and their great need for a Savior who is only Jesus, your Son. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would seal it to the hearts of many, that we would be reflecting on it this week. Bless us. Keep us close to home. In Jesus' name, amen.